So the Biden regime has decided to unilaterally mandate every company with at least 100 employees begin mandating vaccines. It's wild how quickly it went from two weeks to slow the spread to now give us your two weeks notice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Ruthless. Great to have everyone listening, and we have... I'm going to call it already. We got a banger of a show, gentlemen. No question. Joined with Mr. Josh Holmes, Mr. Michael Duncan. Uh, you know, I say we get right to it because the content today is is hot fire. We got we got Pat McCroy on the show, uh, and I've already been told that was a great interview. Yeah, former governor of North Carolina is running for Senate. One of those seats that absolutely has to be won in order for Republicans to win a Senate majority. He's, he's got a competitive primary there, and you remember what we're doing here throughout Ruthless is we're bringing in candidates, multiple candidates that are competing in primaries to give listeners and everybody else a little flavor for what kind of candidates are ultimately we're going to be relying on next, uh, I guess, fall of 2022. Yeah. And, you know, I consider myself a, a bit of a North Carolinian and I'm a fan of this guy. You He's like a good it? guy. Everyone should. You're going to enjoy this interview, folks. Nice. Uh, let's get right into it. So. A lot of folks haven't been paying attention to this, but they really should. Uh, recently, you had some some of the top-level folks at the FDA resign. You had uh, Dr. Marion Gruber, the director of the FDA's vaccine office, and Dr. Philip Cross, the deputy, resigned from the FDA. Yeah. Right? And then a week later, Joe Biden announces unilaterally, hey, we are going to mandate vaccines. I, you know, I... It's annoying to always give this example, but imagine if under Trump, the top two, uh, you know, vaccine FDA officials resign and a week later, he's like, this is what we're going to do. Just dictate the law. Right. There right. Would, I mean, I don't think CNN would take a commercial break for 48 <laughs> they hours. They'd be like, "What? why are they stepping like, down? Government under do they, siege. Do they oppose this action by Biden? Is there a whistleblower within the FDA? Yeah. Oh, you gosh. Know? They'd be like, has Russia infiltrated the FDA? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do have to, it does raise the question, right? I mean, when you have these people, the director of FDA's vaccine office mm -hmm. and her principal deputy both resign in a two-week period about the same time they start mandating vaccines, um, something is, and, and that's a, that's a, that's a really great point. So you have to put this in, in the context that you know they announced their departures at an extremely critical time for the FDA because you know they're the FDA is in the middle of a marathon push to decide you know a lot of very important questions about the corona uh, coronavirus vaccines uh, that were authorized on an emergency basis. You know, uh, so they've been facing public pressure from some folks to speed up with their decision. And who knows who was told, you you know, my way or the highway. Well, and, and you'll recall that during the 2020 election, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were saying, you know, you got to be nervous about this vaccine. We don't know what sort of political pressure, you know, the regulators right. have been put under by Donald Trump. 
you know, suddenly the tables have start, tables have turned. Yeah, it's funny. It's really funny how quickly <laughs> you know. And I, again, the the press response of, oh, this is a nothing burger. Where oh, if it were it be wall to wall, yeah. I mean, can we get an interview from one of these people? Honestly, you know, like, like I'd love to. I'd love to know what these people's rationale for quitting in the middle of this was. I know for a fact a lot of journalists listen to this. Yeah. Despite the abuse. When I say Go fire ahead, do over, your job. Fire over an email. See yeah. what Gruber thinks about it. But, you know, the thing is, I think it's all sort of a part. I saw this play out on Twitter here over the last few days after the, the mandate. Is It's all part of this larger administration's plan, as we've talked about frequently, to try to create an out group. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's and exactly right. The vaccine mandate, when they say companies of 100 people or more, I mean, basically what they're doing is catering to the same sort of like soulless libs atop all of these corporate boards in in America who are saying like, look, we super want to force all of our employees to do it, but it's politically unpopular within our our company. And so it'd be great if the the government just told us to do it so we could shit it off. And that's, that's you know, another very important thing is that Biden still hasn't nominated someone to permanently lead the FDA. And that, you know, it's a job that requires Senate approval. This is a very, I mean, I don't need to tell you folks, that's a very important position. And this is another example. This guy is asleep at the wheel. I'd love to know. Like, the thing is, is that I don't think we'd appreciate it when he does. Right? Yeah, right? Can you imagine? If history is the guy, the FDA commissioner is going to check about eight diversity boxes and then, you know, maybe know It's going to be like a teacher's union member. He's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Weingarten. I mean, basically, that's what they did at the CDC, it seemed like. It's it's incredible. Um, and again, to your point that they're trying to create an out-group. Uh, you always hear Dems and, and, and journos. It's, it's hard to differentiate the two, I know, but they always say, oh, you have to trust the science, trust the experts. And they are trying to create this out-group saying, oh, Republicans are why, you know, uh, COVID is continuing if you and I have previously gone into this, if you look at the data, almost completely, it, you know, it, it's an exact fitting line between people who will not get vaccinated and income levels. That's the largest determinant, even more than demographics, so, even more than location, even more than party affiliation. So they are falsely trying to create a narrative that Republicans are causing uh, COVID to go on, and instead they're. They're, they're attacking poor people. And again, this goes to something I love to hammer on, that trust in institutions has been eroded so much. You know, you've got these parts of the country which have not seen the government follow through on anything. They feel like they've been lied to by the government. Uh, and now the government is telling them, hey, you know, take this vaccine or else. And you're seeing it actually manifests it way itself in a, an incredibly perversive effect on the media and everybody else. And and that I, I, like yesterday I I saw a whole bunch of tweets and standalone articles about this case in Alabama where this gentleman who was having heart disease couldn't get into an ICU and every single article across the country from national publications were all about the fact that they couldn't get into an ICU bed because ICU beds were full of COVID patients Mm -hmm. in Alabama. Right. And I did a little bit of research. I found there's like 700 COVID patients in ICU in Alabama. There's 1,500 beds. You can make your argument about whether or not that's a, you know, affecting it to the point where they shouldn't have any available or not. But the the underlying tenor of each one of these 
were that it's Alabama, right? That it's like I, you know what they're it's getting. It's all at. these dumb conservative, oh yeah, you know, poor Republicans who just don't get it. And they're not taking our advice. They're unvaccinated. They and, and so the tenor is entirely related to their overall goal, which is to create this outgroup and convince all of the intellectual elite in America that it's, you know, we'd, we'd be basically done with COVID if it wasn't for these rubes. And it's, uh, it's such obvious scapegoating. They want to say, Hey America, all your problems is because of this group of conservatives. Well, it's and, also and, not true. <clears throat> and Complete lie. let's, let's just be clear here. The argument of the intellectual elite here is the vaccine uh, prevents COVID um, but you being unvaccinated is a risk to me, a vaccinated person. Yeah. <laughs> They've really not gone into explaining. And, and they I, wonder why, like, there isn't trust in institutions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like square that circle. Well, they can't. Me. I mean, we were, we were a couple months ago, the, 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 the Biden administration says, Hey, if you've been vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask. And then again, they flip flop on that within what, like 60 days. Like, and you think the public should just blindly do what you are ordering? Like, this is another example with, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, the rent cancellation thing. Like, this administration is focused on even, they open, like, Biden openly said, he was like, yeah, the courts will probably overturn that. They know they can't move the ball with legislation because everything is falling apart. There's no goodwill. The guy doesn't know what he's doing. So they want to mandate something and wait until the courts tell them, uh, yeah, hey, they actually, can't do it. this is illegal. And they need to be attacked from from all corners on this because this is just like this is like this is how dictators operate. He's just dictating what he wants to happen because he knows he can't get it through the legislature and he knows the Supreme Court is going to shoot it down. It's 100 percent true. But it's also to me, it's it goes against the sort of core leadership principles that it takes to to be a president of the United States in this mm-hmm. country. Right. It's super easy to create a fall guy when you're having an intense public debate. If your goal here is to get everybody vaccinated, which apparently that's what their their goal is, it's not to create an other. It's yep. not it's not to try to especially when one doesn't exist. I mean, look, you don't have to take one Google search, you can find out that forty three percent of African Americans who voted eighty plus percent for Joe Biden have not been vaccinated. That's correct. Yep. Why is it not the push to try to get a constituency that supported your presidency that you believe is important for their public health to become vaccinated? You Why know, is it more important to try to create a enemy in Southern conservatives than it is to get your own constituency who voted for you to take the vaccine? You would think that if your purpose truly and your belief was that if we get folks vaccinated, this all ends. We go back to normal. You would think the first group you would reach out to is those who have already voted for you. They've they already made you. a commitment. They've already trusted. They already trust you. Unless. Unless you are actually awful at your job and just want to blame people for all your problems. We've and, seen this with Afghanistan. I mean, go. you name it. All the, this this administration has has one play in the playbook. Blame someone else. It, it, that's the thing is that the, none of this has anything to do with public health. It has entire relations back to the fact that they spent 2020 trying to convince Americans that you can control a pandemic from behind the resolute desk. And now here you are eight months later and it's actually worse. Right. That's the thing is this guy runs and the, and the, and the media amplifies this message that he's like, folks, 
Donald Trump, like there's that tweet he had here. He's like, folks, it's been eight months into this pandemic under Donald Trump. He has no plan. When I am president, I will defeat COVID. Right. Liar. Bingo. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mr. Ashbrook. Totally. That's exactly right. And you're seeing this play out, you know. The, the COVID numbers in a lot of places are worse than they have ever been. And, and, the, and, and when Joe Biden says the buck stops here, we need to hold him to account for saying that. He is 100% accountable for everything happening under his presidency. And again, the scapegoating is unbelievable. I mean, it's I just want, zero I want to wrap this up with just the logical point of view, right? If you're dealing with a population and they know the real numbers, right? They're not, the, the people inside the administration understand that this isn't a I want to give issue. one quick, uh, you know, set of numbers. Uh, people who have not received the COVID vaccine by household income, uh, less than 25,000, 7 million. Uh, 25,000 to uh, 35,000, uh, four and a half million. 200,000 and above, what is that, a quarter million? Yeah. This is this is 100% outreach that is to a group that has lost all faith in government. That's right. This has nothing to do about party affiliation. So, and that was my logic question. If your goal was to actually have an improvement in public health and you believe the vaccine was the answer to that, Reaching a bunch of people who didn't get the vaccine because they didn't believe the government by mandating it from the government is probably the most counterproductive measure that you could ever take. Right. You know what I mean? Ever. I mean, it's, it's like it, you just confirmed all of the fears that that group previously had or they would be already vaccinated. Right. Anyway. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, Matt Walsh had this great tweet back to the thing I was saying about their sort of twisted logic. And he's, uh, he's, he's basically making fun of, uh, the cheerleaders for this mandate. And he says, I got the vaccine and it works and I trust it. But if you don't get the vaccine, then I will get sick and die and it will be all your fault. So please get the vaccine because it works and because I am vaccinated and will die of COVID if you don't get vaccinated. (laughs) It's frustrating. You know? Yeah, it's so it's frustrating. And it's like, it, you know, I, I got vaccinated and I, I think the data clearly shows that getting vaccinated decouples infection from hospitalization. And I think people should get get uh, vaccinated. But like mandating it from the government when the, you know, the, the trust in institutions is at, at such a low yep. right now is just going to reinforce all that stuff. Totally. Can we cut, can we talk about zebras for a minute? I love that topic. Let's get into Wait, that. Why are we talking zebras? Dude. This is an awesome story. This? So, I saw this. This is awesome. So the local news here in D.C. was covering this quite extensively. Oh, my God. I saw this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, this is about uh, um, Holmes Norton. Yeah. Like, did you read that HuffPost story? No. What is it? So what is just like very clear, clearly saying she did not do it. <laughs> this is the story. <laughs> oh, so, my God. So by way of background, there was a private... I guess zoo, it's a farm they call it, that had a bunch of free-range zebras on it. And they were let loose. And now letting loose a zebra is a little different than, than a lot of animals. Yeah. These suckers fly. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't consider a zebra a horse. They're, they're, you could not beat a zebra. There's very, you know, you'd think they're similar, but zebras are a are, are, are totally different creature. 
they're not like horses who've been raised in barns and such. No, these live off the they, land. These are, you know, they got to outrun hyenas and lions. Right. They're, they're a bit tougher stock than, you know, your, your dressage horses. If they can give a lion a boot to the face. Yeah. Like you yeah. Got these no, are, these, these, this is, this is no joke. No joke. But so anyway, I'm, I'm watching this thing and they don't, they still don't have them. Like they, this has been a week, I think. And, and like all the police chiefs and everybody who's been trying to do it, they've set up feeding stations and stuff to try to get them there. And like, they can't, they literally can't get these things. That, reined that's in. the thing I love is, so there's this, um, great New York post article about herd of zebras still on loose in Maryland. Uh, there's a quote, uh, you can't hunt them down. They're just too fast. They run. They won't let you get near them. They say, uh, this is from Rodney Taylor, the chief of Prince George, uh, Prince George County's animal services. He says, we do have a feeding station set up and we're winning their confidence. They're eating there every morning between two and 4 a.m. Folks, this is negotiating with the terrorists. Dude, dude, and if you think that's bizarre, I'm, I'm serious. You have to go to Eleanor Holmes Norton's official uh website this is the dc delegate yet another reason why you should never make this place a state (laughs) this is an actual press release that she put out on september 10th this is the headline norton denies responsibility for setting zebras free comma supports freedom generally (laughs) this is not this is not can you give me some flavor for this i'm I, i will read the entire thing please uh here's the subheader Norton says the charges are understandable, but for the first time offers an alibi. The six, six zebras alibi. escaped from a D.C. area farm earlier this week. Again, this is her press well, release. Well, I was just going to say, press here's release. a memo to all of the communicators that are listening to this. Never put your principal's <laughs> name on something that you also have alibi. Yeah. In the you, you, it's not, written like a teaser. Like, they're really excited for people to read this. Yeah, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I have to keep going. Please. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton issued a statement today denying responsibility for letting loose the six zebras <laughs> that have been on the run in the D.C. suburbs. The charges were made known when a member of the public noted that, historically, Norton has valued the principle of consent of the governed, most notably in the fight for statehood for D- the district. I'm wait. so jealous of that member of the public who caused this. So wait, but I, I wish I would. Do you feel like it's sort of a lark though? Like she's she was trying to go viral on the zebras. Yes, no, no, to talk to- about DC statehood. To- so That's I, like her whole thing. Yeah, so I think it's sort of like brilliant in terms of its ability to to get picked up. Here's the problem. I watched a local news right. station that didn't get the joke. They didn't get the joke. They they reported it as Eleanor Holmes Norton being accused of letting zebras right. out. And then like, right. And there was no onion quality to it whatsoever. It was basically just a statement of fact like she's denied it. It makes it sound like she definitely did it. Exactly. <laughs> Like, uh, who puts out an alibi when there are zebras amok other than the people responsible? Let's I be mean, serious. Like you Has gotta, anyone thought of an instance where someone puts out an alibi when they weren't the ones who put the zebras on? You gotta know satire and when to use it. Right. And, like, it actually is a crisis with the zebras in her community, and she's sati- satirizing it, and nobody thinks it's... Yeah, I bet, you know that comms team is like, we gotta get ahead of the story. <laughs> She let the zebras out. We got to just deny, deny, deny. 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 She believes in freedom. Oh, my God. But but uh, staying on the animal genre, because I know that's all of our favorites. I love it. Um, lab-grown woolly mammoths could walk the earth in six years if geneticists start uh, uh, new startup succeeds. And so it's, it goes on to talk about this tech entrepreneur, this guy by the name of Ben Lamb, who's helping to fund a project from Harvard. 
Um, and they're trying to basically recreate a woolly mammoth. And I think this is an awesome, <laughs> awesome thing. Isn't this like Jurassic Park, though? <laughs> like, I, I, I support, like, you know, folks who want to, put you know, get their rockets in space and whatever. But 100% bring back dinosaurs and such animals. I, I, I think I that mean, would be... literally is Jurassic yeah, Park. We, I feel like we've seen this movie <laughs> seen now. I mean, it, we know how this ends. I think the, Life finds a way. I think the fun outweighs the risks. Like, imagine seeing a dinosaur. Yeah. A real deal dinosaur. 100% worth if, you know, the off chance they run amok. Well, yeah, until it eats your ass. I mean... Well, I would... So, in the case of the mammoth, I would, I would eat the mammoth. I know that would be well, huge. Sure. Like, imagine if McDonald's or any other, you know, burger joint was like, hey, we got woolly mammoths on the menu, folks. I'm there day one. Do you think mammoth would taste good, though? Incredible. Why? I, I bet it's great. Gamey, I think. Listen, you think like, so? you know, from, from the early start of, of our species, they were nourishment, you know? <laughs> you want to have paleo? You want to go on a paleo diet? This mammoth. is the real deal paleo diet. You wow. Imagine it. how healthy that is. You got to eat it with whittled bones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, around a fire. With yeah. the bros, that would be a great with bonding bros, experience. I can see that. Would do, I? You, do you have, so, I mean, here, look, it, it raises a larger question, though, Smug. I mean, if you could bring back an animal in this guy's world of, of genetic startups, what would it be? It's easy. Yeah, okay. Easy well, answer. What? A T-Rex. Why would you pick any you of You just animal? go straight T-Rex? 100%. Why waste your time, you know? I mean, that's going to do serious damage, you know that. But you got a T-Rex. Like, why would you waste your time, the amount of money that has to go into this R&D and making all this happen? You you got to swing for the fences. It's, it's like, you don't want to end up with like, what, like a triceratops? All right, uh, that's kind of entertaining, but what are we going to do with this? T-Rex, everyone wants to see a T-Rex go wild. <laughs> with its little arms. You're making your money back day one. <laughs> Show me a T-Rex, name your price. standpoint. <laughs> Huge gate. There's a huge gate for the T-Rex. It'd be amazing. I mean, they could name the price. I'll pay it to see a real T-Rex. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that, Duncan? You think there's any animals that you want to bring back? Saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, that one's good. That's dangerous as hell, Well, too. dangerous, yeah. Oh, I, I don't want sure. one domestically. If you could breed those domestically... Can you imagine people over your house? Yeah, I got to. You know those videos that they have on YouTube of like you know like like lion like trainers oh, yeah. who like, like raise cubs cats. and then they like come up to them years later and they recognize them. Imagine that, but with a saber toothed tiger, be incredible. And those things were massive, massive. So I'm gonna say you know I like I I tangentially follow this stuff and and there was a thing like I don't know maybe, probably ten years ago talking about how there's the extinct eagle that was found in in New Zealand. Mm. It was like it was like a fifty pound eagle, like this thing. America was, needs those, right? But the thing is, and the reason that they were they were this made some news like a decade ago is because this eagle was found when they did a bunch of research on you know I guess it's bones uh, that it, it it preyed on humans. <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah, well, because it was huge, terrifying. Dude, this right? is this a thing real had like a twenty eagle. foot wingspan, and so it would literally pick people up. Oh my god! And the one thing that we haven't encountered here is like a threat from the sky. Wow! And here's the thing: is so the bald eagles we actually have. I remember there was a story. This happened in Alaska a few years back, where uh, a bald eagle killed a deer and and tried to just like fly away with it, couldn't maintain the weight, and it. Dropped the, the the deer on like a power line and knocked out power <laughs> yeah. for this town, and that's a normal eagle. Now, so One double these, that like, eagle, dino double. eagles. Yeah, double that eagle, and you got this kind of eagle. Uh, it's uh, anyway, that's probably what I'd bring I mean. Back. There's, I mean, there would be so much money in it. You, like, uh, you know, in, in Texas, they have those like 
you can get in a helicopter and, and shoot the hogs. Yeah. But you get that with dinosaurs. Ooh. <laughs> Best bachelor tourism. party ever. It literally, he is literally recreating Jurassic Park. Right. Not for the majesty. No, not hunting. F- not, yeah. <laughs> There's no ecological reason. I mean, you have friends over at your living room. There's a T-Rex head. Like, I, I gunned him down, bro. <laughs> Uh, Would you eat T Rex? Hundred percent. Yeah, you got to taste it. Right? The, the one you take down, you got to have a bite of that one. You gotta have a I bu- bet the I bet the little, little arms are delicious. Oh yeah, they're like, <laughs> no. they're like chicken wings. Like chicken wings. Just <laughs> <laughs> batter them up. Throw a little buffalo sauce on. You got well, it. you know they don't get probably not as gamey because they don't get a lot of action. You know, you're no, you're, you don't use those. Don't use them. Incredible. And and it's like veal. It's like veal. Yeah. <laughs> and the scientists are like, all the dinos tasted or turned into birds. Right. I bet it's totally the same. Just place. tastes like chicken. <laughs> totally. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Smug, I noticed uh, along the things that you talk about frequently about Jerdos and Gitmo. Yeah, I mean, we that had some has, movement on that. That's been the dream for a while now. Every last Jerdo to Gitmo. I think that's a great policy position to have. I think it would tremendously benefit this country and My society Lord. in general. Uh, so news came out, you know, uh, Ken Delanian over at NBC. I mean, I got plenty to say. Terrible guy, but that's just me saying I think that. You, I think we had him in the... Didn't we have him in the brackets this year? Oh, I think he made it. Yeah. I think he did. Absolute hack, this guy. But uh, he had this great tweet saying that apparently a plane that was supposed to pick up all these journos who are at Gitmo <laughs> had some like mechanical issues and had to turn around and land. And now the journos are stranded in Gitmo. And I mean, the replies were so wonderful. <laughs> like half were like, oh, wow. So now you're concerned about Americans being left behind with terrorists, which is a, a great dunk. And the other half were people tagging me to be like, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. It's Finally. <laughs> it's happening. I, I love each and every person who did that. Because, I mean, society, it's like those those memes you see of like society would look like this ultra advanced, like, right. absolute utopia, you know, if this circumstance came to pass. If we got all the journals to get Mo, that's like in 18 months. <laughs> well, another story that we've covered quite a bit here is about this uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline in Germany. And you recall that the Trump administration and basically every living American had expressed some real concern with this pipeline because it makes Europe basically <clears throat> reliant upon Russian energy. And the Biden administration promptly, the tough on Russia Biden administration. Right? Yeah. These are the people who are gonna gonna throw out all of the Russian apologists and and you know make the Cold War happen again. Well, the first thing they did was waive all of their sanctions and concerns about this. Well, now it says that Russia has completed. This is uh, from Reuters. Russia has completed the eleven billion dollar Nord Stream two gas pipeline to Germany, setting the stage for fresh tensions. With the U.S., which is concerned the EU will become overly dependent on energy supplies. Well, no shit. I mean, it's such a slap in the face that, like, the the first thing they want to get done is, like, shut down, you know, Keystone. They, they don't care how much Americans are paying for gas. But, like, oh, every journal who is, like, is Donald Trump a secret KGB agent has nothing to say about, like, Putin gets a pipeline. The guy, like, this is creating a monopoly. Like, Russia has, you know, economically, they are not a threat. They're, like, what, 18th by GDP in the world? This is basically throwing them a lifeline. Well, not just that, but then you look at the rest of the world where China's advancing into Africa with all their development there in the vacuum that we now have in Afghanistan and you got China there and now you're going to, you're going to hand this pipeline to Russia. 
who, said, who, who you, you said, you know, stole the election. I keep drumming for Donald it. Trump. I keep drumming it because it, it was <clears throat> absolutely absurd. The, the fake Russia conspiracy theories that the journalists and Dems pushed for years, years, which had absolutely no grounding in fact. But now in front of your eyes, Reuters reporting Putin is getting this $11 billion pipeline he's wanted for so long that Trump denied him, that Biden just handed over while, while, while causing Americans to pay for more for gas. And now we have real concerns. I mean, there was nothing funnier than, what's her name, the, the Secretary of Energy that Foldy is... Granholm. Yeah, Granholm. Foldy is on that. When, when we were having that, uh, the Russian hackers shut down our, our pipelines, yep. and then they did a uh, press conference at the same time where they were talking about <laughs> the most efficient way to, to ship gas is by pipeline. Oh, yeah. Literally two weeks after Incredible. they shut down the Keystone Project. Incredible. Like, they, they, the, the bottom line is they get it, right? They're not idiots. They actually understand it. They just, their ideological point of view supersedes any practical reality for the benefit of the American people. Right. And I think that hypocrisy is so glaring. So, gla- like, it's intentional. It's not even hypocrisy. Yeah. It's intentional. It is. That's right. They don't and care. I think that's a very important distinction to make is they actually, they believe in nothing. Like these journals and Dems are just nihilists. Honestly, they just want power. That's it. They don't believe in anything. They have no core beliefs. And it's beyond a double standard. Uh, so uh, on Twitter, Mrs. Brassenstein, great follower, M. Brassenstein, uh, put these tweets side by side. When it's Trump, uh, Raw Story tweets out, the authority is total, Trump says, he can force governors to reopen the country. Now with Biden, Ross Roy says, GOP governors throw tantrums after Biden takes action to mandate vaccinations. <laughs> it's You see this nonstop. My favorite nonstop. was the Yamish side-by-side because this is somebody who journalists, like core journalists say like, oh, Yamish, what a wonderful person Un- Yamish oh, Totally is. unbiased. Right, totally unbiased. She hosts what, that PBS NewsHour or whatever it is, which is like taxpayer-funded <clears throat> propaganda. Right, we pay for it. Yeah, so when it's Trump, she says, President Trump will override the governors if they don't follow new CDC guidance in open places of worship this weekend. And then her context is the 10th Amendment of the Constitution says power is not delegated to the federal government or reserved for the states. On and the other to hand, constitutioncenter.org. I love it. Yeah, right, right, right. As if she needed a source for that. Oh, yeah. Right? And then and then her when it's Biden, Biden goes after GOP govs without naming names. Talk about... Uh, talk about bullying schools. If these governors won't help us beat this pandemic, I will use my powers as president to get them out of the way. He added that federal government will restore 100% of pay for anyone targeted by the mandates. It's something. Shameless. Absolutely shameless. But it's like you said, and I think that's a very important distinction to make. It's not that these people are hypocrites. It's that they don't care. They don't They're just nihilists. They just want power. It goes on and on. I mean, look, there's there's basically two-thirds of journos have set up this same contrast. You could do this for days. But the the bottom line is, from my standpoint, the good news, people aren't missing the joke here. Yeah. The yeah. red wave is coming. I'm, I'm the, the polling that you see lately, absolutely beautiful. Folks, we told you here on the program first, the red wave is coming, and the data is now backing it up. It In a... In a in a very big way, the generic ballot has shifted towards Republicans, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. But we had this weekend, even a CNN poll now reduced the Dem generic ballot to one. 
Typically, one. you see these these generic ballots that are what like what are they, Duncan? Plus seven. Yeah, I mean at plus at, at plus for five for Dems, we could win back the House, no problem. Like no problem. Nuts. Oh uh, no, I mean absolutely. <laughs> like I mean, like we could win a lot. And of that's seats. what we're what we're discussing. The plus is the percentage right. that one group is sampled over the other. So like typically, you're looking at what plus seven percent Dems yeah. more than Republicans. So like an sampled. even generic is a wave election. Like wave, incredible, totally. Well, they also and. The, this poll in particular irks me because it was a month long, right? They fielded it from August 3rd to September 7th. And so, like, it's not really a snapshot in time right. so much as an opportunity for the pollster to even out the samples, right? <laughs> I mean, it's... it's and that they push this out, again, it's just, this is not news. This is propaganda. It's They're crazy. Like, oh, this data was gathered before Afghanistan happened. And even Dems and every media, like, even CNN... MSNBC are airing footage wall to wall of of Biden's failures in Afghanistan, and this poll was taken before all of that. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, I, I've, I the polling is coming our way, but it's it's coming our way for a ver- wide variety of issues. We've talked about the Afghanistan thing, which led a lot of people to open the hood and take a look around and try to figure out what else is wrong, and it allowed people to take a look at the economic situation, the crime situation. I mean, you guys see this situation in uh, Chicago over the weekend? Six killed, 56 wounded. Chicago. That's the thing. Is like, I, you know, I've said it many times. Summer's over. Fall is here. But under Biden, the summer of violence continues. Continues. <laughs> yeah. Continues. In every, pl- every place you look. Milwaukee, two people killed, five shot. Right. Memphis leaves five dead, including teenage boy. Baltimore, two dead, five injured. And Sunday. This is, this is Sunday. It's incredible, and, right? And, and, and uh, oh, God, goodness, I think it was Vox who was trying to push this uh, little piece that they put out saying that, like, actually, you know, they're like, many people are saying that crime is up, but, uh, you know, our, our data shows that it isn't. And you had Helen Olane, who's, I don't think, was she at HuffPost or something, right? I don't even know. She replies being like, and this is, you know, honestly a very left-wing individual in journalism. She replies being like, this isn't talking about violent crime, which has <laughs> shot up. Do you think that this data is representative? They're like, oh, folks, uh, actually, you know, petty larceny has gone down. <laughs> right. Please don't. We've decided to stop prosecuting petty offenses. Yeah. Which is the mur- issue. Right. And, and murders are up 300%. Yeah, it, but overall, in the aggregate, crime is down. Yeah. Because we just let people out. Yeah. When you don't prosecute it, it's amazing how crime goes down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Really, it's a wag the dog type situation. Yeah, don't mind that. Like in Chicago, you probably have a better chance of, of being shot and killed than dying from COVID at this point. It's like fifty people are murdered in Chicago on a weekend, and and that's like a decent weekend. Like, oh, you kept it down. We're just around fifty. I mean, people. This is not going unnoticed. People are watching this. This happens to be a weekend where this nation mourns September 11th. Yeah. You know, they've done nothing to bring this country together whatsoever. No. If there's one moment in time that you think we would all be able to sort of sit together and say, like, look, collectively we're Americans and we can get through almost anything, it's watching sort of the remembrances yeah. of the heroism of September 11th and afterwards and what fellow Americans did for each other, and yet you see these violent crime spikes. You know, I mean, it just goes to show there is there is no cohesiveness. These people are tearing this place apart. None. I I, I am not feeling the like healing in unity that this regime <laughs> promised us. 
It's the opposite. And you're seeing it, like with our endless scapegoating. And again, this is I want to get into this example of gaslighting. And I don't need to tell folks at home how the price on everything has gone up. It doesn't matter what journalists are trying to tell you about like, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, what inflation? Everything is fine. Well, you know, the, the New York Federal Reserve released numbers saying that they now see inflation rising at 5.2% in one year. I mean, it's, it's bonkers. 4% in three years. It's and bonkers. that's a series high with, quote, large expected price rises in food, rent, and medical costs. And that's ex- and, and that's, all that's of kitchen, this. was it kitchen counter issues right there? Yeah, and all of this amidst the backdrop of Nancy Pelosi and these idiots trying to throw another three and a half trillion dollars down the throats of the American people. I mean, I I can't believe, and we're going to get into this here, but but I can't believe that the that anyone has watched what this administration has prescribed for this country, whether it's foreign or domestic, and think there's anything but a complete catastrophe that's been that's been unleashed on the American people. Five point two percent increases across the board on household goods. I'd love to overlay that with what what your average take home pay is. Bingo. What's the wage? What's the wage increase? I saw I saw this great uh, report today that said that last year. In 2020, of all years, when, when when we've got a pandemic, Americans spent more on taxes than they did on health care, uh, rent, and food combined. That's insane. And now, now they're trying to just raise taxes. And then you had Bernie say that, oh, listen, folks, don't believe the $3.5 trillion number because that's just a down payment. We're gonna have we're gonna have it go go up like that's just like the first five or ten years we're gonna have the numbers go up, folks. And they're Bernie is like liars. Uh, Bernie is like upfront about it. He was like, "Oh, you know, I uh, I don't care who hears this, but actually, this is our little Trojan horse. You think three point five trillion is bad? We're going for the big one. We're uh, really going for it. Totally. And they're abject liars. What they would have the American people believe? First of all, what they would have the American people believe is that somehow the Trump tax cuts resulted in a tax cut for the rich, which is absolute bullshit. Total We've false. had like a thousand guests on that have explained exactly yeah. what this is. That, that's and everyone nonsense. at home knows they, you know, but they file their taxes, right? They, they know. But conversely, they will also say that they're upholding a Biden pledge not to raise taxes on people under four hundred thousand dollars. Oh, really? Like the tobacco taxes? Yep. Right. Yep. Like th- those ones are going to hit. And and when the when the price of gasoline is up, what like fifty percent? Who's that hitting? I mean, it's you just, think you think uh, billionaires. You know, ask Elizabeth Warren. You think billionaires care about gas prices going up? No. The working folks in this country care about that, and those are the folks who are eating all of this. Whether it's upfront with taxes, like they want, they they are not just going for a big spending bill. They're going for a big tax bill too. They want to raise all of that, and I think you know polling has shown. Americans are starting to get it. They're realizing that the reason everything's more expensive is because this administration has gone completely bonkers with spending. Totally. And they want three and a half trillion. You know, Holmes, you said this perfectly, and I want everyone to pay attention to this. You know, folks at home, folks who work on the Hill, we have to kill that three and a half trillion dollar bill. We kill it, and Biden is a lame duck within his first year. Dunzo. That's how we stop this. That's where we draw the line in the sand. No aid and comfort. So you know, we talk about not taking the bait. 
Don't take the goddamn bait. This is the only thing that matters for the next couple of months. You got to make sure to put this thing six feet under. And they're all going to try to talk about what's the right number. What's the number we can get Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema to agree to? Maybe it's not three and a half. Maybe it's two and a half. Maybe it's two. They're also negotiating on Meet the Press. You, you watch it all happen and everybody in D.C. covers it as though it's some kind of a horse race that doesn't have real impact on the American right, like people. A, like a foregone conclusion that we're going to get this thing passed. Right. But just like, what's the number? Right. You know? No, I know. Not like, oh, what well, you know, we should have amnesty and the Green New Deal and all these tax hikes. Like, there's no discussion of any of those components of it. Exactly. Right. That's you just you just <clears throat> hit the nail on the head. They they actually have amnesty proposals in here. Yeah. Yeah. Like full citizenship for illegal immigrants in this bill. And that's another thing. And that's one thing that you know legislators on our side can really go after is separate that. Don't let them have that. Don't let them say, wow, uh, we need this like emergency bill. They're throwing all every everything they've ever wanted, all, all their grabs to have total control. They're throwing all in here. They're like amnesty. Oh, makes sense to throw that in this bill and ask, make them vote for us separately. Hold them accountable. Hold them accountable and ask yourself this question just as a threshold question. What problem is this bill attempting to solve? Bingo. Is $3.5 trillion going to fix the 5.5% increase in inflation? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No, no. Right? Are, are, are these tax increases actually going to generate something to dig us out of a $25 trillion debt? Nope. They're actually spending more than they're taxing. Bingo. Believe it or not. Right? What does the social policies of illegal immigration, paying people's rent, paying people not to work, how does that affect our economy? And that's really something is, again, Biden, without any authority from the legislature, goes ahead and unilaterally is like, oh, Brent's canceled, folks. Because, and he even says, he's like, yeah, this won't last in the courts, but we're just going to do it anyways. I mean, a couple of great stats. In the, in the U.S., if this were to pass, there would be a, a combined state and federal rate higher than our foreign adversaries like China, higher tax rate. We're paying. We'd pay more than taxes. Than a communist China. state. Than a communist state. I saw people from Sweden making fun of making fun of Americans for what we're proposing. I mean, this is where we're at with these people. This is not. Again, it's not to try to solve a problem. There is no need for any of this mess. There is no need for any of it. They are trying to implement something just to implement it to try to save the Biden presidency, to try to say that they got a major accomplishment, yep. something that they can try to campaign on to say that they've done something. What they've done up to this point is is absolutely contrary to every American interest that we have, where it's foreign policy or domestic, and they're trying to triple down on this. I thing. mean, that's the thing is like, just look at what this administration has been up to, just furiously trying to change the subject from all their failures. Like we had wall to wall coverage of Afghanistan and they're like, Oh, actually Texas is worse than the Taliban. Like they are throwing out anything they can to try to change the news cycle. And, and, and this is, this is, this is another example of it is they don't want America. So, uh, uh, Fox business has this article saying that Americans inflation fears hit another high in August as prices continue to climb. Do you think the Biden uh, you know, regime wants to deal with this? Do you think they want to talk about this? No, they want to say like, oh, uh, listen, you, you have to pass this bill to know what's in it. Uh, 
You know, we're not going to tell you that amnesty is in it, and we're not going to tell you that three and a half trillion is ridiculous. If you want to hold, you know, Biden accountable for the absolute lawlessness, lawlessness of this administration enacting policy that they know will not stand in the courts that can't be passed through the legislature, make sure your representative, make sure your member of Congress, make sure your member in the Senate kills this three and a half trillion dollar bill. That's how we hold them accountable. Absolutely. And shoot down these journos that are trying to trying to uh, deal with this as a like get on Twitter or, or Facebook or wherever you interact with the with the with the journos and, and shoot down the notion that we are in a process horse race here. These things have real effect on Americans. I like Richard Rubin at the Wall Street Journal does a great job of telling you what's in this bill. The rest of it is like Oh, well, Manchin and Bernie, they're in an active discussion. Yep. You know, oh, uh, cinema and Manchin and... The memo and, went out where, where it's like uh, uh, all the Dem organizations were like, hey, journos, here's how you're going to help us, is you're going to demand uh, two people who would face dire consequences in an election not to go with this crazy bill. Right. That's the smart way to do it, is, is we're going to demand cinema and Manchin... Mansion who's in West Virginia, which Trump won by like 20 plus points. Right. That's their game plan. And let me tell you, folks, one thing about journalists, it, it's sad and pathetic, but ratioing them has like a greater effect on their behavior than anything else. Yeah. Then what does Call it them do? Out. Tell me what it does. Call them out. Call say, them out. Say, how much are you paying for gas? You're probably not, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, Williamsburg, you're probably not having a car there. So what are you telling me about? How my, you know, I can shoulder three and a half trillion dollars. I know I don't have a trust fund like you do. Right. You know, or was it that article came out a journalism degree is $70,000 now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these people can afford these kind of things. Actual Americans can't. Or like when, uh, when the house Democrats try to wedge in a sat assault cap oh, removal. It's coming too in this. <clears throat> and then they straight face. This as you know, this is a bill that only targets the point one. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're giving, you know, a windfall to blue state McMansion owners. Bingo. Exactly. And, and here's the other thing. This is the last point I'll make. And it's all in the politics of this. There's a lot when you when you put this all in the context of process, they make heroes out of the weak. They make heroes out of people who are ultimately going to fold. You read, read about like Josh Gottheimer and all the house quote unquote democratic moderates who are going to stand in the way of Nancy Pelosi doing a reconciliation bill and demand they act on this bipartisan infrastructure thing first. They did no such thing. They did no such thing. They folded and they voted for it. They're trying to pretend like the Catherine Cortez Mastos of the world, the Maggie Hassans, the Mark Kellys, the Raphael Warnocks, that they're somehow moderates and they're in discussions about what happens. They're not anywhere. Nope. They're not anywhere, right? Joe Manchin's actually the only one who said, I'm not going to vote for this thing. The rest of them are hoping to God that he's that he has some success. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, they, just keep, they, want they just want to keep their heads down. They, they want, want that cover. But yeah. nobody has once asked, and I want everyone to think about this if you reside in one of these states, nobody has once asked, Mark Kelly, Catherine Cortez Masto, Maggie Hassan, or Raphael Warnock, whether they're going to vote for this thing. Yeah. It's, Do you know why they haven't asked? It's weird. Is it because they're in cycle? It's, they're not, one, they're not in cycle. Two, there's never a question. Of course they're going to support the Democratic establishment no matter what. No matter what that package is, all of those people will vote for it, and then they'll try to, like, retrofit an explanation as to how it works for their state. 
hold their asses accountable. I mean, the, the, the Mark Kelly thing really personally infuriates me. It's incredible. They give him such a pass. He's an absolute left winger in, in a battleground state in Arizona, and, and, and they're just covering for him. It's infuriating. Let's play a game. Let's do it. We're going to play Demo Journal. Nice. <laughs> Let's hit that music. Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Nobody knows. Okay. Now I love you know it, it's a little long. Is it growing on you? But it's still good. It's, it's growing on you. I love it. That's nice. <laughs> And I love this game. It's a great game. It's a good game. I'm going to read four statements. Three are by journalists. One is by a Democratic operative. Okay. And you have to decide who is the operative. I noticed Smug's having a little problem with his chair over here. Yeah, my chair ran over my my head my headphone cord. Yeah, continue with all me. Okay, I'm just I, trying to make sure he gets the rules. Sometimes he also, he I I think this this what's we're watching this gymnast routine next to me. You seen this? It also happens to be the first episode that we have Smug back having a little sip of, yeah. sip of something. Just a little something. It's yeah. a little sip of something. So I I <laughs> I'm ready for Demarjuna though. I know these rules. Okay. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Statement number one, and these are all themed on okay. uh, the COVID, ma- um, you know, vax mandate. Okay. COVID vaccination is only a politicized issue because of those in the political and media figures, quote or uh, parentheses, many of whom are vaccinated themselves who decided to politicize it. Hmm. Say that with such certainty. I'm gonna I'm gonna read that again because I sort of screwed it up. COVID vaccination is only a politicized issue because of those political and media figures (parentheses) many of whom are vaccinated themselves, who decided to politicize it. Mm, I like <clears throat> that. Okay, I think I know where that's going. It's like a a, a, a subtweet, yeah. I guess. Of yeah. Um, statement number. Two, and this is a quote tweet of um, a Goldman Sachs forecast that says the the vax mandate's going to boost employment growth. <laughs> you know, if there's someone I trust looking out for the public's interest instead of their own bottom line, it's got to be Goldman Sachs. <laughs> got to be Goldman Sachs. Like, you know, they have a reputation of front running everyone who who does business with them. But well, I mean, let's continue. <laughs> Uh, yeah. A long to, record. Talk to anyone who works at a hedge fund. A long record. Having them as a prime brokerage. Looking at front run on your trades. But anyways, <laughs> I trust them to only have our interest. <laughs> they care about John Q. Public. Yeah, totally. Long 100%. and short at the same time. 100%. <laughs> oh, this, is a, this is a quote tweet of, uh, of that research. And it says, good for public health, good for the economy, good for employment. Oh, that feels like to me someone really going for the Ron Klain retweet. Like, <laughs> oh, if it's not Ron Klain himself, we'll see. Number three, 
Your personal choice ends where my right not to get killed by an infectious disease begins. Oh, wow. I mean, that's the thing, you know. When you're when you're vaccinated, unvaccinated people are going to kill you. <laughs> right, because the vaccine works. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Right. Okay. Statement number four. No one is being forced to get vaxxed. Employers, schools, entertainment ven- venues, etc. may require vaccines. If you don't want to comply, stay home. Awesome. Start your own biz. Awesome. Homeschool your kids. Watch TV. You are not being forced to vax. Learn to and, code. And you can't, for- That's it. you can't force others to serve you. This I, I, And this makes me so mad oh. because it's their whole game of like, hey, don't like conservatives being booted from every social media? Start your own. This is like, hey, you don't like uh, your job telling you what to do? Start your own company. That's a very simple process. <laughs> I got my pick. I think I got my pick. All right, hold on. I'll turn around. Yeah. Don't say it out loud this time, Duncan. Okay. All right, the breakdown. Let's, let's, let's get into the breakdown. All right, we'll start with four. Um, the reason that I think that's a journo is because the Biden administration actually marketed this as a mandate. And I believe that it is responsive exclusively to corporate America and major employers who didn't have the will to do it with their own employees and needed the backstop of the government in order to justify it. Mm. Right. So walking away from the mandate itself, I believe is a journo explanation rather than a administration or democratic spokesperson point of view. Um, Can I get a reread on number three? Your personal choice ends where my right not to get killed by an infectious disease begins. Okay. So my right is not a spokesperson thing to say. No spokesperson would ever say my right. They would say either the average Americans or whatever. To me, that was a tell. Yeah. So that's a journal again. Like your job is always to address voters, the public at large. You never say my right. I mean, good operatives never try to make themselves a story. Right. These days, God knows what. Well, who knows? But I think in this case, if we're looking for an average sampling, that's my guess. Sharp, sharp take. On number one, you know what it sounds like to me is it, it sounds like a hallway journal, like the kind of the kind of journalist that interacts and is forced to interact with conservative Republicans where they think it's all a charade, that they don't actually believe in anything mm. and that they that they play to like the insecurities of the American people, despite taking different action themselves. It's an underlying charge of hypocrisy oh. without actually like naming names. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's for sure a journal. Okay. Number two. Can we get a reread of that? Good for public health. Good for the economy. Good for employment. And yeah. A, and a quote retweet of Goldman. And it, it might very well, in my view, be Ron Klain because I can't imagine somebody who has the straight-faced ability to retweet something like that and be like, see, we told you. Great for everybody. And you know what? Like, uh, my guess was number two. Because, like, yeah, only uh, I feel like only a neoliberal operative would be like, <laughs> hey, guys, Goldman says I'm right. 
like I would guess at least half of all journos are members of like Democrat socialists, right? Right. And they're like, none of these people are gonna quote retweet Goldman and be like, okay, folks, here's it's my a, case yeah, for it. I'm gonna quote tweet yeah. the, the synthetic CDO guys that crashed our entire economy. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's a take from these folks. Yeah. Very good at predicting. Dude, that would that would rule like I think it honestly probably could be clean. That, that is very clean ass. Fellas, I got something to tell you. It's Ron Klain. Oh yes! my God! Yes, yes! we Ron not only hammered the that is so we hammered the man. So brilliant, the so best brilliant. One yet. And I was like, this is like someone fishing for a Ron Klain. You're like, it's from the man himself. He went straight to the source. Goldman Sachs research. My like, God, I am, I am stepping That's into Ron Klain's music. Oh yeah, my God! <laughs> And you know what? Good for Ron Klain. He knows this administration has like its days numbered, and he's he's gunning for like a board seat yeah. at Goldman when he has to leave. Good move, Ron. That's probably smart. I love okay, it. Uh, interesting aside here. So so the 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 tweet that was uh, you know no one is being forced to get vaxxed. If you don't want to comply, stay home. Yeah. Start your own business. Uh, that was Stephanie Rule. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that seems perfect. Here's 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 an, a nice little wrinkle. That was retweeted by Ron Klain. Oh, oh man. Yes. God, he's prolific. Yeah, I mean, prolific. The, guy, the guy really has created a market of just absolute brainworm takes. Genius they're stuff. All, they're all going for it now. <laughs> they want the claim to fame. They want the claim to fame. <clears throat> uh, your personal choice ends where my right not to get killed by an infectious disease begins. That was Cheryl Gay Stolberg of the New York Times. Perfect. Goodness. My right. My right. She said that on television. Mm -hmm. uh, Edward Isaac Dover was the... Oh. COVID vaccination is is only a politicized issue. Of yep. course. Because everybody's a fraud but me. But me. Yeah, that's his game. Buy my book. Oh, buy my book, buy my book. God, that's so good. That was one of that's probably my favorite Demer journal. That was a great one. Let's play that was a great out. one. Nobody knows. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful. You know what you do? Speaking of beautiful, let's get into that wonderful interview. Yeah, so here's Pat McCrory. He's running in a Republican primary in North Carolina. We'll have other candidates as well uh but he is currently the front runner there and here's his interview i want to welcome to the program uh, a great guy he's the former governor of north carolina now running for united states senate pat mccrory how are you sir i'm doing great i, I love love hearing about your podcast and how you're bringing humor into it and i love uh how you're using some old rock music as uh, some of your titles, you know, your lips move, but I can't hear a word that you say, you know? <laughs> well, you know a little bit about that. After you were governor, you got into the radio biz for a bit. I did. I, I it was by mistake. A radio show called me up. Uh, I don't know, about six months after my campaign and said, would you do five minutes? And I said, yeah, if I can do it from bed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they said, how about an hour? And I said, yeah, if I could do it from bed. <laughs> and then they said, how about two hours? And so for three years, we did a two hour radio show and became number one morning radio in all of Charlotte. And, uh, and we're getting a huge internet. So I had to leave that um, to run for the US Senate. And it was a tough decision to make. But every time I'd walk out of the radio studio, 
my stimuli and my ego were real high, but the minute I left, I'd kind of crash and go, I'm not accomplishing anything. Yeah. I need to make decisions and not just talk about it. But I'd have a, during those two hours, we had a heck of a lot of fun and I learned a lot, maybe to help me become a better candidate by being on radio and, and not taking myself so seriously and having a little self-deprecation and having a little right. humor, which I think we Republicans need to bring humor back to politics. We I take agree. ourselves so damn seriously. And, um, and I maybe became a better listener on the radio show. I, I learned that silence is actually good in radio. So we had a great time. I used a lot of rock music and Beatle music and stones and the who to make <laughs> points on politics. And it's great. I made up characters that people believed. <laughs> <laughs> well, having fun with it is, is what we attempt yeah. to do here. You know? And that's and it, what appealed to me about uh, your podcast. I think y'all are doing something unique and I think it's great. Well, that's, that's very nice of you. Thank you. I, um, I'll get to the Senate race in a minute. I want to talk a little bit about former governor, North Carolina. I felt like when you were governor, first of all, you governed from a, from a conservative perspective, which I appreciate, and you got a lot done. But man, I felt like you, the left targeted you more than anybody in the country during your term. Yeah, it was well coordinated. In fact, we found a memo a week after I was elected governor by a group called uh, Blue Something. I, I forget the name of the group, but it was very well coordinated group of coalitions of nonprofit liberal organizations. And they they said their number one goal during the next four years will be to eviscerate Pat McCrory. <laughs> That's nice to see in writing. Right? You know, and eviscerate's a pretty strong word. You know, in hunting terms, that means take the gut out of somebody, you know, uh, or an animal. So, and they said how they were going to do it. They were going to, no matter what I recommended, they were going to call it extreme. Yeah. They were going to have coordinated protest every day at six o'clock for the six o'clock news in front of the mansion. And, uh, they were going to do three or four other things that were brilliant. I mean, they were so simple and so brilliant. So they, we had their plan and they successfully implemented, of course, with a media that was willing to go along with it. So we had a pretty left-wing liberal media that uh, really went on the attack from day one. So before yeah. I did anything, they had protest in front of the uh, governor's mansion and, and it got pretty tough. I think I was kind of the test for, some of the things that you see Antifa and others doing now in other cities. Mm -hmm. So um, I was the test run. And sadly, I was a successful test run in a very, very close, you know, I lost by 9,000 votes out of 4.6 million. And I was declared the winner that night, but two hours later, you know, they, they, they got votes in Durham. <laughs> right. Right. They found some votes in Durham. Yeah. We're, we're familiar with the concept. I, um, but but do you think, I mean, you had to have learned a lot of lessons from that because if anything, the, the left has congealed more in terms of how they attack issues and candidates. We see, we saw this playing out last spring, ultimately with all of the voter integrity proposals from Georgia and Texas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they basically worked to just sort of brand something that wasn't what it was, right? They, they were, yeah, they, the branding, that they brand, they learned the term, I think that's a great way to say it, they learned to brand extremely well. Like, brand me as an extremist, which is, I'm not an extremist. <laughs> and uh, brand, you know, they're branding, uh, you know, when 
Republicans bring up voter integrity rules. They, they say it's voter subversion or, you know, taking away votes. Right. When Republicans bring up voting, they say you're stealing elections. You know, it's, it's a branding game right now in politics, and we've taken it to a whole new level. And I may have really been one of the first to have this method directed toward me. I actually, Mike Pence, when he was governor of Indiana, they went after him initially. And then when yeah. he was nominated for vice president, that whole coalition of branding moved to North Carolina to take me out. And they even told me their plan. They came to my office and said, we're going to do this to you. Have coordinated protests in Asheville, Charlotte, Raleigh, uh, Winston, and so forth. And uh, we're going to get on the six o'clock news every day attacking you. And they told me their plan. So after was, you go through something like that, and you mm-hmm. have the benefit of hindsight, and you're now reentering the, the public arena, you know, what do you do to just sort of blow that, blow that away? Well, I think part of it is what I just told you at the beginning. The radio has kind of told me of how to reach out to people. Um, again, when they attack you, maybe don't respond in kind, but uh, respond with humor. Yeah. Respond with uh, self-deprecation. Kind of mock them for <laughs> their ridiculous proposals. And, you know, I'm seeing right now among the left, for example, the way they're using the branding of science. If you disagree with them, they go, well, you're not following science. Right. And on the radio show, um, for example, my, my, my successor as governor, Roy Cooper, closed down bars but kept breweries open. Right. And called it science. (laughs) And all I'd have to say on the radio was, and with a straight face, it's science. It's (laughs) the science of the virus that bars are closed and breweries are open because the virus recognizes breweries um, that they're okay, but bars are bad. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And, And they also, for example, made high school basketball players wear masks, but college and pro basketball players didn't. Yeah, You know, so the NBA Hornets didn't have to wear masks because the virus knows the difference. So, you know, even, even, I hate to say this, strip clubs could stay open, strip bars with pole dancing and so forth. This is what I hear anyway. (laughs) They could stay open as long as there was a a buffet, but gyms were closed. That was the North Carolina rule. As long as you had a buffet going, you're all as right. As long as you had a buffet at a strip bar, oh they I mean, stay can't open. Imagine but, gyms, but gyms were closed. I mean, so we as Repo- me on the radio show would bring out these uh, hypocrisies and, and we wouldn't have to say anything. We'd just say it and people would kind of go, wow. But the media would ignore it. So I'm using some of that same technique uh, in my Senate race is – you don't have to be mean-spirited and insane what the Democrats and the liberals are actually doing. You just have to say it and let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I didn't do that as governor. And, and, and as I was mayor for 14 years of Charlotte, too. Right. But I didn't have that done against me as mayor. Hmm. Yeah. I had a well, pretty friendly yeah. press as mayor. But when I became governor from day one, the media was uh, very unfriendly. To yeah. put it mildly. Well, I think you're going to find if you if you win the nomination, and we can talk about the Senate race next. But I think you're going to find if you win the nomination, the federal platform, and in, in any more forgiving than the governorship in terms of the media's interest. Man, they no, are. I'm finding that out. 
I, you know, the, the Senate platform is, first of all, it's much more national than a governor's or mayor's race. So, right. you know, I'm now being attacked um, nationally by both both groups on the right and the left, which is kind of ironic too, which I'm, I'm kind of laughing about that. Who, who's, I'm getting attacked by all these different groups with really funny attacks, um, if you think about it. Yeah, well, you're simultaneously an extremist and a squish, right? Which is a tough yeah, thing to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, I'm an extremist in one camp and a rhino in another, and I, so I, I'm, I'm very confused myself. <laughs> so I just go on, and you know, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the issues very seriously, but I'm not gonna take our, myself too seriously. And, and I think that's what, you know, Reagan, Reagan was very good at that. And I think we're losing a little bit of that in our party. Actually, Trump at times could be humorous, but they didn't get it. And he didn't deliver it as well. Yeah. But yeah. at times, Trump could be humorous, but then he had overstepped his humor with another comment and people would lose the humor. Yeah. Well, he was very funny. I mean, and, and very entertaining and, and remains so. And, <laughs> and, and particularly. He wasn't self-deprecating, though. No. No, no, no. He wasn't self. Reagan was more self-deprecating. Now, right. Biden, Biden takes himself very seriously. I mean, Biden, who, if you disagree with Biden, you're just wrong. He is. He and Harris are smarter than you are and more intellectual. And well, we that's a liberal that. thing. That's a liberal thing. Anybody oh, yeah, left yeah. to center is just an intellect that cannot be questioned. The thing with Biden yeah. is he can't remember what he's going to say half the time anyway. So that intellect no. takes a little bit of ding off the top. Well, you know, I did. A, I did. A, when I was on the board of directors of the North of the Governors Association, Biden was given a speech and he was in like this 45th minute. And I was at the head table, two door, <laughs> two spaces down for Biden next sitting next to John Hickenlooper, the governor of Colorado at the time, now U.S. Senator, Democrat. And all of a sudden, Biden stops in the middle of a speech where the audience, probably 500 people, was sleeping. And I was staring at him, trying to stay awake at the head table. And he all of a sudden turns to me and goes, hey, you, you haven't smiled one damn time during my whole speech. Oh, my God. And I'm like going is he talking to me? And I could tell he didn't know who I was. I think he thought I was the governor of North Dakota because my water bottle was covering the Carolina sun. Yeah. You know, where Carolina, he just saw North. And then all of a sudden he walked up behind me in the middle of a speech and started rubbing my shoulders. Really? In the middle of a huge speech. And then I got up and hugged him. <laughs> I got up and hugged him. <laughs> And I don't know where that came from, but I didn't know. He was vice president of the United States at the time. Right. And uh, then he went right back and gave his speech. And I turned to Hickenlooper and I said, what the heck just happened? And he, he went, you were Biden. <laughs> so I think this has been going on for a while. By the way, someone took down the video. You cannot find the video anymore. Well, you're probably pretty there. lucky about that because I imagine your primary <laughs> opponents be pretty serious about using that video. <laughs> well, the, I think the Democrats took that video down. Um, there's probably still a picture of me hugging, but it shows the vice president, then vice president, now president, not all there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, so I mean, we got pretty much an example every day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very, it, it's, and you know, he got away with it. Very similar to the guy who beat me for governor. By just staying, avoiding the media, and the media let him get away with it. Uh, yeah. Biden, you know, ran a presidential campaign where, if you think about it, he was never in front of the media. Right. Um, 
partly due to COVID. And then when he won South Carolina, he just disappeared. It was, I've never seen anything in political history like that. No, and I don't think it'll be replicated anytime soon. That was yeah, it's, catch, it's going to catch up to him. I think even the Obama team knows that th- there's an issue here. Yeah. I don't know what that issue is, but there's obviously an issue. There is an and issue. And Harris, Harris is not showing any uh, depth of <laughs> being able to take his place. To put you don't think she's solved the border crisis yet? It, it is absolutely amazing. I don't know if you know this, but I served on the Homeland Security Advisory Commission after 9-11 under President Bush, and it was a great experience for me. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I went down to the border, you know, so this problem has been a huge problem for a long, long time. I went down there 15, 20 years ago as a mayor. Uh, so that was, yeah, about 18 years ago, probably. And mm-hmm. so she has done nothing. And we as Republicans do need to talk about the immigration, more of a process, not just as a border issue. But I know in North Carolina, we have some serious cartel issues along I-95 corridor between Florida and New York goes right through North Carolina. I knew this as governor. I knew this as mayor, too. Major, major Mexican cartels, uh, human trafficking, drugs. um, And they are very well coordinated. Uh, They work hard, very strategic, and they're very violent. Yeah. And we need to talk about that more. It's not just a border issue in Texas and California and New Mexico. It is a North Carolina problem. Um, and other states have this. Yeah, I mean, too. we've talked to, we had Shelly Moore Capito on here a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about how it, uh, fentanyl and yeah. all the, the drug issues that have infected uh, West Virginia as a result of the border crisis. Oh, it's, 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 so, you know, hopefully I can bring that experience to D.C. that they don't have at Capitol Hill right now. Someone who's actually had to deal with the gangs as a mayor and as a, as a governor. Uh, also, I'm probably going to be the only U.S. senator who actually had to call the National Guard to put down Antifa in a riot in 2016 when Obama didn't want me to, neither did the Attorney General, now Governor Cooper, or neither did the Mayor of Charlotte. Uh, we, I mean, our city was being destroyed. and It really was only less than 1,000 protesters, but it was about 50 Antifa people. Yeah. And I brought the National Guard without approval of anyone because I could, and then I gave the authority of the National Guard to the police chief who I used to ride with as mayor. He was a sergeant or something. And so I trusted him now that he was police chief. And I said, you have total control of the National Guard, deal with it. But if you let the mayor of Charlotte play politics with the National Guard, I will take back control. And it was the right thing to do. And we put down a... um, a riot. What I didn't do was take credit for it. Yeah. And uh, I lost Charlotte by, you know, a hundred thousand votes, which, you know, could have made a little bit of difference, it but I didn't think difference. it was yeah. the right thing to play politics with. Yeah. But well, it stands so in stark contrast to what we're elected to Senate. I will be the only um, probably governor who called the national guard to put down Antifa and actually knows how to call the national guard. I was amazed during the Washington riots in Portland and Seattle, where so little people know about, you can't just snap your finger and call the National Guard. <laughs> it it right. does take time. These people have other jobs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, and, I mean, look, the mechanics of it are, are not all that simple. but it, They're very, very complicated. Very complicated. Stand in stark contrast, your action there in comparison to what we see in, like you said, the upper Northwest, which we've had, I mean, it's been like 15 months of riots. It's just incredible. Uh, and the media is ignoring it completely. I mean, 
How big is the crime issue, you think, in your Senate race? Do you think, I mean, it's obviously popped up in a number of different states, and I think it's become a, a dominant issue amongst a lot of the suburban voters that we've seen over the last few years. But I, I, my sense is, is in North Carolina, you're probably hearing a lot more of that. Absolutely. And I can relate to it because when I became mayor in 95 in Charlotte, we were averaging over 125 murders a year. I took it down to less than 40 because I got tough on criminals. I had a program called Target 100 where we went after the top 100 people that were being arrested time and time and time again. I mean, 50, 60 times. And I went after truancy and uh, curfews. I had a curfew. And we went after the gangs, worked very close with the federal government, and we reduced the crime rate. Now, all of a sudden, the crime rate in Charlotte and Durham and Raleigh and Greensboro, the murder rates, well over 100, 120 in Charlotte. We had a major gang shooting in Charlotte with 300 witnesses, four people killed, didn't make the national media. They have yet to find the killers. They have video, no witnesses. And that means the gangs have taken over again. And the federal government does play an influence in gang fighting with local police. And I get that. And that's another reason why I'm running for Senate is because I do understand that. And we as Republicans need to talk about that more, but from an educated standpoint of being there. I rode with the police all the time as a mayor. Yeah. And as a governor, I rode several times with my highway patrol, scared the hell out of me pulling (laughs) cars, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, because you don't realize these highway patrol officers are, uh, you know, there's not another patrol within 20, 25 miles when they pull over someone on a highway. Yeah. It's it's a scary job. I got to imagine there was a little bit of anxiety from the officers having the governor sitting shotgun (laughs) making those stops too, right? I mean... (laughs) My security wasn't too pleased with it. I bet not. I bet not. One time I had my security pull a car over. Um, That was weaving. And we pulled a car over and the guy was high as the Dickens. And uh, they arrested him. Did you make arrest? (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time I've ever told that story. I would love to have seen Governor Pat McCrory slapping the cuffs on somebody. Well, the guy said, I said, that car is going to kill somebody. I said, if, if I wasn't in the car, would y'all pull him over? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, pull him over. You, you got to do something. <laughs> so they did. And uh, the, That's a great the guy was smoking his daughter's pot in the car or something. It was pretty bad. Uh, yikes. Yikes. All right. So let's, let's do a couple minutes on the Senate race. You got a primary to win. And you got a, a more importantly, there's a general election here that is absolutely critical for Republicans in taking back the Senate in 2022. North Carolina has always been one of those states that is just right at the end, a tipping point for either party. We've had some success there lately, obviously, in the last few elections, uh, but it is a must-have. So so as you're looking at all the things that got you back off the bench and off the radio and back into the, into the public forum, what do you think is driving you the most and your candidacy the most to be the right guy to fill that fill that role? Well, I got off the sidelines because I, I think I am, to quote Tina Turner, simply the best for the job to represent all of North Carolina. And I say that in a serious standpoint, because I have called the National Guard. I have dealt with police and crime. I have cut taxes. I have dealt with deficit. But the thing that really got me off the sidelines is when we started paying people more not to work than to work. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that to me is a form of socialism. And that was happening in 2013 when I became governor 
and North Carolina, the fourth highest unemployment rate in the country. And I said, I'm going to lead the Carolina comeback. And in the third month in office, approximately third or fourth month in office, I reduced our unemployment compensation as opposed to increasing it. Right. Because we're having people move to North Carolina because we had one of the highest unemployment compensation packages in the country. And I went, you know, we have job openings all over the place. We don't need to be paying people more not to work than to work. So I was doing this in 13. That's when all my protesters started. Hmm. Moral Mondays, Reverend Barber, that's when it all started. Very well-coordinated effort. But it was the best decision I made as a governor mm-hmm. because three months later after making that decision, it took three months. We had the largest drop in unemployment in the United States of America in North Carolina. So now when I see other governors doing this in 2021, I'm going, yeah, you should have, this is our model in 2013. Yeah. So I think I'm the only Senator who has that experience too, actually did it and maybe lost an election because of it, but it was the right thing to do. And I think we need more people in the Senate who care more about the next generation than the next election. And, um, that's how I feel about it. I kind of feel like I did on my first radio show. I told my co-host, I don't care if it works or doesn't work. I'm going to do what I want. And, um, and I care for this nation. I care for the American dream. And I'm afraid when we pay people more not to work than to work, or we offer free this and free that for the next generation, they'll actually start believing and they're being taught in our universities that in our high schools and elementary school, that everything is free. And it's not what our country is all about. And that's what's got me off the sidelines. Um, Someone who's actually done it and kept their promises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's a good message. I've got three big questions for you to end this show. And these are the ones, Governor, that everybody listens to, right? They get to know you a little bit here in the the beginning. We got three questions. (laughs) This is the serious stuff. Okay. 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 First question is, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, first of all, it's going to be very long meals. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be not just an hour or two. It could be days or weeks, just in case they find a cure of the disease while I'm eating my last meal. So uh, right. does that sound logical? I mean, yeah, why rush? Bring that sucker out. Yeah, yeah. I might have a cigar afterwards, even though I don't smoke, and a very long cigar. Right. Um, but uh, probably a good steak and homemade coleslaw for my mom's recipe and apple pie for my mom's recipe. I like that. I like that's a good meal. I've got to have my mom's recipe. I, I loved her very much. And she made the best apple pie. So I'll just have someone find that apple pie recipe with lots of cinnamon. I love that. And not a vegetable anywhere near that place. No, that's no, <laughs> no, no spinach, broccoli. I'm a Republican. Come on. <laughs> all right no, second, health, nothing healthy what difference does it make it's our last meal right exactly exactly <laughs> all right second question if you never got into politics if you never got into public service either mayor or governor or now senate race what do you think you would have done with your life probably a combination of an architect although i could never draw a straight line so that was the problem tricky. yeah that's a tricky, tricky. thing it would have been that modern architecture because by accident or a, a professional basketball referee. I refereed basketball for 12 years, uh, high school and some college and church. I didn't know leagues. that. 
Yeah, yeah. I've been cussed out. I was cussed out long before I was in politics. Oh. I, an old story I used to tell all the time, that told all the time. I refereed Michael Jordan in a uh, ACC All-Star game and called traveling on him. So, no. Uh, yeah, he says was he said he never traveled. I said you traveled all the time. You moved your <laughs> pivot foot. So I would have killed the NBA had I been a referee because they palm and travel. It would have oh, been yeah. the most boring games that I refereed because I would have actually enforced Naismith's rules. Yeah, right, right. The the three so, the three step run around the top of the key into oh, the oh yeah the yeah, lane. yeah. And they doesn't... palm the ball even just walking down the court. You know they. Yeah, yeah, right. They take the ball underneath there. Um, so a stickler, a stickler for the rules. Well, yeah, but I never called technicals because that'd get me home late. That'd slow up the game. <laughs> so I, I had a rule with ref with the coaches. I'd tell the coach, I said, you could call me anything you want, but if a player or fan hears it, that's yeah. a technical. But if they don't hear it, it's fine with me. <laughs> so that was my rule. <laughs> it's a good rule for politics, so was, by the way. It was good practice for politics. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That's good. All right, so here's the third question, and it does apply sort of to Michael Jordan. What motivates you, Pat McCrory, more, uh, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And let, let me explain this for a second. The thrill of victory is like your classic optimistic charge the mountain, get to the top of the hill type mentality. The agony of defeat person is Michael Jordan, right? It's the person that every single day they literally get out of bed because of just the chance that someone could possibly beat them. Yeah, I'm an old Jim McKay fan from ABC's Wild yeah, World of Sports. That's where it comes so from. The skier, you don't remember the victory in that film. You remember the skier falling off the, the jump. <laughs> so I remember that. I, I hate to say it, but I'm probably – you know, I remember uh, missing a layup in seventh grade to win the game. There you go. Uh, you know, I remember missing a pass that brought me the second string in the football team. I remember my defeats, which – and I was laid off one time at a company and then rehired two weeks later, but I never forgot being laid off. Yeah. And it spurred me to do something different. So, I hate to say it, I'm probably motivated more by – once I have a victory, I move on. Yeah. But the defeats, man, I, I re-energize. Yeah. I re-energize and strategize. And, yeah, that I hate to say it, but I wish it was the other way around. But sometimes you need to have some ego checks and defeats in your life. Thankfully, I've had more victories than defeats. But sometimes defeats makes you reevaluate and check your ego at the door, too. Well, that's why we asked the question. That was a perfect answer. Uh, it gets right to the core of, of who you are, and we appreciate it. I don't know well, if that's good or bad. but No, uh, no yeah. well, listen, there is no right or wrong <laughs> answer. It's the authentic answer that matters, which is what we just got. Uh, <laughs> but how, how do we find you? Where's your website? What, uh, what can people do to help? PatMcCrory.com. Just pull it up on the internet. Uh, we'd love to have you volunteer for our campaign. We'd, of course, love donations. PatMcCrory.com. Donate to our campaign. U.S. Senate. Pat McCrory for the U.S. Senate. It's uh, we're good news is we're about 20 points up in the primary, but all that, you know, I've got everyone attacking me. You know, they're going to try to eviscerate me. And I get the game. I've played the game. I know the game. I've been played by the game, but I'm exposing the game. Yeah. And we've got to start playing the right kind of game in Washington, D.C., and that's why I need your help. All right. Listen, Governor Pat McCrory, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming and spending some time in Ruthless. God bless. Take care now. 
So um, what I like about him is he's just, he's super congenial, but he's also, as he's governed, when he was governor of North Carolina, mm-hmm. there is not a person in government who's done more conservative stuff. That's the right? thing. I mean, I really, really appreciated that is he knows what he's doing. He's competent and he's moving the ball on conservative issues. I always love when we have governors on for that reason. Yeah. You know, we get so depressed with the state of affairs here in Washington, D.C. And you get to, you know, doing this podcast, you get to talk to some conservatives who are outside the beltway who are getting stuff done. I love it. That's why we need him. Where he can't get stuff done, right? Yeah, well, you know, not endorsing, but you know, we'll have other candidates. Yeah, we'll have other candidates for sure. We've got Ted Budd and and Mark Walker and others out there running in this primary. But the one thing that I think is is my up my takeaway from McCrory is he spent a lot of time thinking about how liberals defeated him Hmm. and internalized it and trying to change course in a way that he can be successful in the future and. You know, frankly, from an agony of defeat perspective, you got to appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it's a real Michael Jordan. That is. Yeah. yeah. I, did you guys see that Michael Jordan thing about the Dream Team? By I the way, I love it so much. I yeah. love it so much. That he liked playing. He liked playing with the best stars from around the NBA because like he they asked, they learn, asked, learn, learn their they weaknesses. For well, <laughs> when he comes back to play in the NBA, so they asked like everyone on the Dream Team. They're like, you know, what did you think of that experience and everything? And like, you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson are like, oh, it was magical playing with you know so many talented people. And representing our country right. and seeing that flag. And then they asked Michael Jordan, who was like, I got to learn the weaknesses of my party. <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute animal. I love it. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Well, I think we did it. That is, speaking of fantastic, another fantastic episode. Outstanding work, gentlemen. I'd say that's a that's fair to call this one a banger. Yes, so, sir. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.